0: Um, I, I wrote the piece on Hardy this morning. Um, that's a, that's kind of the only thing. I mean, that's my last math and piece of the year.
1: Hardy, um, Hardy imagine... may come up in this conversation. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he will. Old man
2: talk. I mean, imagine that. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 25th, 2017. It's my dad's birthday. Aww. And this is episode 218. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. In this episode, we'll talk to Andrew Stetka as the season winds down. And we're going to go
2: through our final experiences of the last homestand at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for the 2017 season.
1: And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. It's time... For the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is on your lips this evening?
2: Jake, I think the only way we can describe baseball this past September has been fearful. It's been a fear to watch. So uh, I went with Flying Dogs, The Fear, Imperial Pumpkin
1: Ale. I'm going to one up you, Scotty. <laughs> All right. The Orioles in the month of September have dropped like a bomb stone. Ah, We're going stone. with Stone IPA, a, a fine brew. Well,
2: if you want to know what other puns beers we can come up with, check us out on Untapped. I'm at
1: MAGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. Let us know if you were drinking a dumpster fire longer. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, it's time for our checkup.
2: Jake, we laughed last, last last week and we basically said, oh, the Orioles are perfectly healthy and uh, nothing can go wrong for the rest of the season. We We did not say nothing can go wrong for the rest of the season. We're Orioles fans. That is clearly not true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but we did jinx it ourselves a little bit. So there's been a few uh, developments is the best way to describe it. Uh, Dylan Bundy was scratched from Sunday's game uh, with a hamstring injury. Um, and it sounds like he'll probably be shut down for the season now. Uh, Jake... Do you actually buy it's a hamstring injury or do you think this is just more of them saying uh, we don't want you going out and pitching meaningless games?
1: I think that this was them trying to sick uh, Chris Tillman on me. Okay. Gotcha. So you're saying this is a
2: audition for Chris Tillman more so than it was a uh, Dylan Bundy issue with his hamstring.
1: No, it was just spite against me.
2: Gotcha. Uh, And then, of course, the other health news was that uh, Dylan Bundy was officially shut down. And he had a, a stem cell injection into his left knee. Zach Britton. How was at, that's why I said. What did I say? What did I say? More Bundy. Oh Bundy. Did I? Because if you're going to give Bundy more injuries, bad news. All right. So Zach Britton stem cell injection into his knee. Um, this is an interesting one because um, over the past few years, the Orioles have really been big on. PRP injections, which is plasma-rich platelet injections, which is a completely different aspect. Than in- including Zach Britton on his shoulder, right? Yes, exactly. So it's interesting that the Orioles are starting to potentially move over, um, away from uh, PRP in, in certain instances, and move to stem cell. Um, stem cell has been a really big thing uh, as of recently within Major League Baseball over the past year. Um, a lot of the doctors believe that it has a better ability to heal and have a little bit more consistency than PRP, which... I'd say it's more of a 50-50 shot is the best way to describe it. So uh, I think it's actually not a bad move on the Orioles' part to try this out. Have they considered HGH? Uh, Yes, they have, but um, Jay Gibbons was not available for a prescription. (laughs) Uh, Or Larry Bigby.
1: Nice. Or Miguel Tejada. Brian roberts. or brian roberts Ooh. oh hashtag the brian roberts watch <laughs> all right uh also in the uh injury list this week we have uh adam jones reporting to general leg soreness yes
2: uh, I, I, all the amount of time he has had to go and fly fly balls down in the gaps this season with like mark Trumbo's being out there um have certainly come back and taken a toll on him so i still think this comes back to Buck knows it's time to basically start giving some of his guys a break. I I kind of hope he starts doing it across the board with Machado and Scope and everybody that is going to be a prevalent part of the team going into 2018.
1: Well, I wonder if this is just the beginning of the, hey, by the way, Adam Jones is not a 160-game you know game player. Sure. I mean...
2: But, again, that's why it's going to be nice to have outfield depth that can actually come in and play center field on occasion.
1: Sure, and by that you mean uh, Mark Trumbo. Uh,
2: and by that I mean the future in Austin Hayes. Uh,
1: anything else we got in the medical wing? Uh, no, I can I can remember no other sadness this week. All right, week.
2: then let's go to 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Our first tweet comes from Ben Jacobs, at Ben C. Jacobs, and he writes an article for The ringer.com which asks – why all 30 MLB teams should try to sign two-way phenomenon um, uh, Otani, um, and his quote for the Orioles is as follows: "Pitching for the Orioles is like playing Oregon Trail as the farmer. It's a good way to prove how hardcore you are."
1: So we're all going to die of dysentery. Yes. Oh. Uh just really like the
2: quote and just to throw back to the childhood. Why don't nice. you go ahead and take the next one?
1: All right. Next comes from Canon Chat. Good friends of ours at Canon Chat. We've reached the quote, Gary and Jim badly sing the Mission Impossible theme song, end quote, part of the game. Frankly, I think that should be every game. That should be every game. Ma, ma, ma. Um, Next tweet comes
2: from Ryan Wagner at rwag614. And no matter how tough the season has been and how frustrating it is, And we're playing, not playing on. J.J. made it all worth the while today. And this was, of course, after the Sunday game. Uh, Jake, as we know from last week's episode, I got um, a little excited for what I thought was going to be a J.J. Hardy home run. Uh, (laughs) But needless to say, I had to wait and be patient. And J.J. Hardy delivered on Sunday with um, a very magical moment, needless to say. And it's what makes baseball one of the best games possible because it's these unexpected situations where the game is completely meaningless but
1: it's a special moment and you can kind of pay tribute to a great player. I don't want to get too deep into J.J. Hardy. I mean, I do. I want to get deep into J.J. Hardy. But just saying the special connection between Hardy, the fans, and Ryan Wagner Oof. is a uh, it's a really cool thing. And to be there at Camden Yards while well, that's going on, It's uh, it's a special thing. Uh, Moving on next, we have a a tweet from Rich Dubroff, who, of course, tweets at Rich Dubroff MLB. For the final home game of the season, Buck Showalter brings the lineup card to the home plate. Usually only does this for first game of the series. It's interesting because usually, you know, he has Kirby or or more frequently John Russell go out and provide the, the lineup card. Uh, What what do you think it is? Just, you know, last home game. Let's make it special.
2: I I think clearly this means that Buckshaw Walter is retiring. Um, He's taking a leave from all baseball activities. And um, he's um, going to go and sit back down in Florida and watch Seinfeld from beginning to end for the rest of his life.
1: You're terrible.
2: I am terrible. Uh, next week comes from Josh Roka at Josh Roka, of course, member of the Section 336 podcast. Uh, based on this crowd, I think the Orioles shouldn't worry about signing Manny or a pitcher, just focus on more giveaways to pack the yard. And Josh is absolutely right. The crowd was immense on Saturday night for the hooded sweatshirt giveaway. Jake. I do really think that instead of spending $162 million on the first baseman in the future, uh, we should just basically go buy a bunch of hooded sweatshirts because the money may be more worthwhile uh, to get the attendance up in that fashion. We got a toothbrush holder on Sunday. Congratulations. That's really nice of you. Uh, You know what? Uh, We talked a little bit about JJ Hardy. We're trying to tie up this whole season. Why don't we go bring in a former, actually, not a former friend, a friend of the program who writes for Mass and Sports to get his perspective about what we are doing for this season uh, with the Baltimore Orioles.
1: Andrew Stetko writes for Utah Street Report and guests on massensports.com And frankly, if you aren't reading either of those two or following them on Twitter, you're not doing being an Orioles fan correctly. Andrew is kind enough to stop by from time to time and talks to us now on Bird's Eye View. Andrew, thanks so much for stopping by.
0: Uh, happy to do it, gentlemen.
1: So let's just get the most important thing out of the way first. Uh, what is your drink of the week?
0: Uh, I have gone back to a, an old faithful for me. Um, I actually spent all day Sunday watching football, sipping on uh, Sagamore Spirit Rye Whiskey, which I have to drag through check luggage out here to Arizona from Maryland. Uh, Splash that and a little bit of Coke, and uh, call it a, call it a day. A little whiskey and Coke action.
2: All right, can't can't complain. What's more, how do you feel about Sagamore compared to the other whiskeys that are out there? Do you think it's kind of a thing that? you kind of go to since you've got the Baltimore roots or do you think it's just, you know, a really nice done whiskey, um, in in the collections?
0: Uh, definitely a little bit of both. I, I really enjoy it. Um, I sip it on the rocks sometimes. Uh, it's just, it's delicious. I actually, last time I was in town, uh, back in, I believe it was in May. Uh, I went and toured the distillery down there in Baltimore and it was a really cool little, uh, Historical uh, perspective on you know rye whiskey in the city of Baltimore and, and even throughout the state of Maryland and uh, I recommend it to anyone. It was a cool experience.
2: I think it pairs really well with the Coke that you do too because it kind of gives that vanilla note coming off in the Coke as well. But nice little whiskey um, and that's not just because of the Baltimore roots, but a really done kind of small batch process. So good for them on that. So you mentioned uh, you spent most of your Sunday kind of watching football um, and. Um, since the Baltimore are off the air now and no one's available to say let's get stupid anymore, um, we're going to go with let's go topical right now. So, Andrew, we saw the first instance of MLB players taking a knee during the National Anthem. Um, Do you think that we'll see the same backlash from baseball fans as we're seeing from football fans um, now, um, you know, publicly?
0: Uh, Definitely not. Um, Part of that is because just I think of the nature of the two sports fans. Um, I think football fans are a little more this is going to sound controversial, but angry in general. Um, The sports are very different. They're they're apples and oranges, which is why I hate comparing them uh, to start. But, you know, football is an aggressive sport. It tends to have a more aggressive fan. I mean, I've been to baseball games. I've been to football games. Um, I I never really see brawls breaking out at baseball games. Um, I don't think that, number one, you're going to see a lot of controversy come out of, of an MLB player taking a knee during the anthem um, mainly because I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of it. I think this is something that's probably going to stay mostly in the football realm. Now, it has kind of trickled over to some other places. Um, you know, the WNBA has, has had a lot of players taking mm-hmm. a knee during anthems. Uh, soccer has had it as well. I know Megan Rapino, the U.S. women's uh, national team star, has done it. Um, but I think for the most part, this is going to remain a Colin Kaepernick driven NFL type of thing. Um, but in general, I just, I don't see it trickling that much into baseball and I don't see baseball fans, you know, who call themselves only baseball fans. I don't see them getting too up in arms about it.
1: Now, somebody who's been very vocal here at the Orioles is Adam Jones, not singling him out specifically, but do you think that this will trickle into the Orioles clubhouse or I guess more importantly, the Orioles, uh, Camden Yards field for the, uh, for the national anthem?
0: You know, I, I, obviously we won't we won't see that the rest of this year as they don't play another game at home. Um, may, maybe some MLB players this week decide to, to take a knee just because this is, has become a, a really big thing, especially in light of President Trump's comments last week. Um, but I, I don't know. You know, I, I can't get into Adam Jones' head. I know if there was any player that you would think maybe would do this, it might be Jones because he has been uh, outspoken about you know, racial injustice in this country and, and, and rightfully so. Um, but I, I, just, I, I can't really, you know, predict whether or not we'll see that from a player like Jones or, or anyone else throughout the game. Um, it's kind of hard to determine at this point. Like I said, I think this will mostly stay in the football realm. Um, but you, you know, we saw, you know, the, 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 player from the A's take a knee over the weekend and, and it, it could happen. And, and, you know, if they want to take a knee, that's that's obviously their right. I, I know, I'm pretty sure I know how you guys feel about that, and I, I think I feel the same way. I, I'm not sure that it's something that I would ever do. I joked on Twitter yesterday that I'm actually going to the Ravens game uh, in Baltimore this this Sunday, and I, I, I joked that you know I, I was probably going to take a knee in the stands. I, I don't know if that's something I would ever actually do um, if I was a player or, or, or even as a fan in the stands. But I certainly don't um, you know speak ill of anyone who would want to.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see how Orioles, uh, the Orioles fan base would react to something like that. I, I think in many ways, uh, Major League Baseball is dodging a bullet in the fact that their season is largely ending as this thing is really right. brewing up. I mean, clearly the playoffs will have a huge microscope, but the national discussion will probably, you know, for better or for worse, and, and boy howdy, we hope it's for the better, but the national discussion will probably be different come, you know, March and April than it is right in this moment. And, uh, you know, just by happenstance of scheduling, uh, you know, MLB owners are really dodging a bullet here.
0: There's there's no question about it. And I think it's also important to recognize not only is the MLB season ending, the NFL season is really just getting rolling, um, and, and the NBA season is picking up. I have a feeling we'll see some of it in the NBA. And and it's important to recognize why that is, and it's important to recognize why all of these uh, protests are happening. These are not protests against the national anthem, against uh, the United States, against the flag, especially. Uh, these are protests that started by Colin Kaepernick in the NFL about racial injustices and, and uh, the killings of, you know, black men by police officers. Um, and if you just look at the dynamics of, you know, race in the different sports, there are many more African-American football players than there are baseball players. There are also many more African-American basketball players in the NBA than there are baseball players. That's another reason that I just don't see a lot of huge momentum for this type of thing to happen within MLB. Um, I think it's something that will mainly stick to football and and probably will maybe trickle a little bit over into basketball as well.
2: So as we talked about at the beginning of this uh, interview, uh, you do a weekly piece for MassInSports.com, um, and I want to talk Touch base on your last two articles, but I want to go back to last week's article where you were talking about this season and kind of looking at it from a win loss perspective. And it, it and you kind of painted this aspect of this season has kind of been a lost season. But I, I want you to look back at this 2017 season and tell me um, when you look back at this season, what will you look back on fondly um, as a positive light coming off of the season?
0: Well, there's two big things, and they both are kind of in the same category. It's the breakouts of both Jonathan Scope and Trey Mancini. Those are the two big positives that you take because they're the most, they're the most prominent thing that happened to this team. Seeing Jonathan scope, uh, become an all-star develop into a player that I'm not hundred percent sure anyone really believed he would truly become um, was special. It was special to watch. It was fun to watch. Um, and it's, you know, it's been heartwarming to watch because he's a guy that I think everyone has rooted for since he came up. And he's also been, vastly underrated um, you know there's a deep pull of, of very good second baseman in baseball so he's never really looked at in that top tier but for him to get the recognition of an all-star nod this year and and you know he'll probably get some MVP votes here and there uh, in the American League as well I think that's really good and, and, and really important for him and, and for the team and then when it comes to Mancini of course um, his first full season putting together you know a really good rookie year um, in comparison with guys like Machado and, and before that, I don't know, maybe Ripken, um, maybe Messina. I mean, th- we're talking about big names here, um, obviously. So to see Mancini break out the way he did and not just do it with the home run ball, but you know turn into a more of a developed hitter and also fielder. It, people kind of tend to forget that this is, this is a first baseman and he's been in, in the outfield for most of the season and, and maybe isn't a goal glover. But he's playing very capably and has done it pretty well for the Orioles and and kind of given them um, a little bit of a pass for not really having true corner outfielders this season. He's been able to slide in there and and do a nice job.
2: All right, so the one thing I want to bring up during this part was you had mentioned about these breakout seasons from uh, Jonathan Scope and Trey Mancini. It always seems like the Orioles have um, these players that – have a tendency to step up and outperform their expectations. I think certainly, somewhat, every single team has it. But when you come back the next season, um, we haven't seen a, a player put up a back-to-back performance, except for a player like Manny Machado. Even Chris Davis has been really hot one season, really cold one season, really hot one season, really cold one season. Right. And I guess the question is, when we look at 2018 and we look at the lineup, you know, do we expect a similar performance coming out of Jonathan Scope and Trey Mancini? And if we don't get a similar performance, um, does that game that come back? And when you look at 2017, you say, well, that wasn't the beginning of something. That was an, an, an outlier. Or do you just say, hey, at least we've got something there that we didn't think was quite as good as we originally thought it was going to be?
0: Yeah, I mean, in a word, no. You, you can't really expect both of those guys to go out and have another season like they did this year. But that's not to say that they can't still be very good. Um, I think with scope, you've probably seen his career year, um, but but he's always been a player that's been considered pretty good even before this year, um, and 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 still very overlooked as I mentioned. Um, so he can still be you know th- th- there's there's an in between there. He, he doesn't have to be um, as good as he was this year to still be very very good for this team. Um, and with Mancini, because he's you know he's a little bit younger and this was his first year, you'd hope you can see a little bit of growth there. Um, I'm not saying that this was his career year. But, you you know, you definitely don't expect him to come out and mash the way that he has all season long. I mean, Mancini, I I can't even really remember a stretch, uh, maybe a little bit there uh, in the middle part of the season for him, but there really wasn't a stretch where he went super cold all year. I mean, he's just been one of their more consistent hitters, and it's been a joy to watch. So, you you know, yes, you'd like to see them develop and, uh, you know, continue to grow. But at the same time, you do have to kind of come to a realization that maybe this is, if not the best, among the best seasons that you'll see from both of these players. And that's why it's important to have other guys around them. You brought up Chris Davis. I mean, he's a guy that, like you said, has been up and down and up and down. Um, You would almost be even happier if he was somewhere in the middle of those up and downs all along, because then you'd get a more consistent version of Chris Davis. I think that's what the Orioles would be looking for, in both Scope and Mancini going forward.
1: So I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb here by saying that the Orioles' farm system is not a great one, right? It's not a fantastic farm system. Yet we are starting to see some signs of life. Um, the The draft picks, the first-round draft picks, have been better of late. Um, you know, I didn't believe in Trey Mancini when people were talking about him in the minors. Like Cody Sedlock, he's been great lately. Enough. <laughs> um And, you know, though I'm not uh, willing to anoint him as a major leaguer after just a few games, Austin Hayes also, you know, looks like he may be a real player. Is there reason enough to hope that things might not be as dire as some of us think with this Orioles um, farm system, or are these just, you know, the the cream rising to the top and the rest really is a dearth?
0: I mean, hope is the, the word you use there. That's what you have to do if you're an Orioles fan looking at this farm system, because, If players like Austin Hayes and Chance Sisko aren't fully capable of stepping in, uh, there's going to be massive holes on this roster. Um, I know there's a lot of people already anointing Austin Hayes as the opening day right fielder next year. I'm not entirely ready to go there yet, but who else is going to do it at this point? I mean, that's the biggest question. The Orioles, we all know, are going to have to go out and spend some money this offseason, especially in the starting pitching department. and. I don't really see them going out and splurging on a corner outfielder um, like they splurged on, on on getting you know guys like Seth Smith in there this year um, via trade. So it, 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 it's almost uh, you have to hope because it's going to the, the Orioles' hand is going to be forced to put some of these guys in the lineup and bring them up. Um, and unfortunately, when you look at the Orioles' farm system, once you scrape the crust off the top, there's not much filling. All right. um, th- th- there may be a couple guys that are, that are right there and, and ready to come up like Hayes, like Cisco, that, that may be ready to step into roles on the big league roster. But beyond that, there's not much there to, to rely on. So if, if those guys don't hit and stick at the major league level, where else do you turn? There's, 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 it's just, there's just not a lot to go on there. So um, I think the word hope is, is the best one you can use uh, because you just have to hope it works out for them.
1: I think we turn to the bottle. Frankly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So speaking about filling a hole, um, Tim Beckham brought in during the trading deadline. um, Where do you see Tim Beckham kind of fitting in for 2018? He's had a remarkable second half of the season. Um, Obviously, I think there's going to be some regression in 2018. But do you think he's going to have that kind of performance that like a Johnson scope has had in previous seasons where he's uh, an above average player? Do you think he's, you know, basically slightly above average at, at best?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is another one where I'm just going to use the word hope. Um, You hope Tim Beckham can be, you know, he's obviously going to go into next year. I think everyone assumes is the starting shortstop on this team. And you know, you hope that he can be three quarters to half of what he's been in the second half. And I think that would be more than suitable. I mean, he's, as you mentioned, he's been on fire uh, since they acquired him and has just been tearing the cover off the ball and I don't think you can expect that to continue uh, into next year and beyond. But it's you know it's easy to forget that this guy was a formidable and overall pick and, and was highly thought of by a lot of teams, including the Tampa Bay Rays, who, who took him with that pick. Um, and it obviously didn't work out for him down there. Perhaps he really is just a, one of those you know guys we talk about all the time that just needed a change of scenery, and getting himself up to Baltimore um, you know really sparks his career. Um, that that could be the case, or you could have a guy who is a nice little villain for a couple of years and and is productive, but not you know not a world beater. That would be fine too. Um, I think what the Orioles pulled off the trade deadline in in acquiring Beckham was, you know, hadn't it definitely had me scratching my head. It it, it had many others scratching their head as well because everyone was thinking, after, especially after they acquired Jeremy Hellickson, uh, why are they adding? This is a team that everyone kind of. Pushed and, and expected to maybe sell off a few pieces, and instead they were adding pieces. And when they acquired Beckham, I was very confused by it. Um, and then I thought about it for another second and said, actually, this kind of makes a little bit of sense. Not only for the short term, when the Orioles were still in the midst of, of you know thinking that they had a shot at the postseason, which obviously didn't work out, but they were also thinking ahead because. Uh, the departure of J.J. Hardy is imminent, um, and Beckham is a guy that can pretty much slot right in and, and fill that role, uh, even if it is just a stopgap of a year or two or, or maybe a little bit more.
1: Well, I'll tell you two things. First, Dan Duquette did not forget that he was a first overall draft uh, draft pick. He loves that stuff. Um, and second, I will say that Tim Beckham, no matter how good or bad he is, will be no Alex Cintron. Um, <laughs> well, let's hope not. So... Let's just stay on the shortstop topic for just a second. Um JJ Hardy, let's start chopping onions. Uh let the dust <laughs> in. Let let's let's talk about that. Uh what did you think of, of Sunday's game? Uh
0: it was it was special. I didn't quite expect it. Um you know, I, Hardy's never been a guy that struck me as uh, you know a guy who would be who, who would think of himself as a lifelong Oriole, um, but Sunday, you know, not not that it, not that Sunday alone changed all of that, but just in reflecting on on what he's meant to this franchise for the last uh, several seasons that he's been with them and and the contributions he's made. You know, Hardy was never the and I wrote this uh, this morning at com. Hardy was never the best player on his team, never the most talented, um, but he was just kind of a, a steady presence, um, similar to Adam Jones who's been a steady presence similar to prior to this year, Matt Wieters, who was a steady presence similar to Nick Markakis in past years, who was just a steady presence out there in right field. Hardy was a, a very steady, um, sturdy ball player who who went out and gave it his all. And, and, you know, the fans loved rooting for him. And, and um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say it's, he's definitely gone, but it it definitely seems like this is the end. and, um, whether or not it's the end for just his Orioles career or his career as a whole, um, he'll be looked back at as, as a, you know, an Orioles hall of famer eventually uh, in a similar way that guys like Adam Jones will be. And, and those other ones I mentioned, uh, Matt Wieters and Nick Markakis, I'm sure will be looked at in the same light. Um, he's, he's in the same boat and he's, he's a guy that will uh, will be fondly thought of. And uh, you know it's, it's weird. I sound like I'm, you know, speaking about his death it's just the end of his orioles career but um but it's you know that's what it it is what it is i mean he's, he's come to that time in his career where it's probably time to hang it up i know he said after the game sunday he he thinks he can still play but you know he doesn't get to determine that uh 29 other mlb teams will get to determine that so we'll see what comes of it um and we'll see if he maybe ends up in a in the orioles dugout in a different capacity down the road that's that's always uh possibility
1: as well you know it's interesting because you look at players that try to you know keep it going for one or two more years and, and what you end up getting is you get the you know brian roberts in a yankees uniform right you get a player that's right. clearly past their prime, um, and and though they may contribute in some you know small or meaningful way. Did you mean Derek Jeter in Yankees' out uniform too, or <laughs> yes? No, not okay. too. They're never you know they're never quite the same. You know, J.J. Hardy doesn't need the money. You know, J.J. Hardy is uh, never going to be a frontline starter in this league again. Uh, for me, selfishly, I want J.J. Hardy to be remembered as a great Orioles shortstop. You know, I want him to be remembered as a huge part of that special Orioles run. And so for me, the minute that his Orioles career ends, I really wish that he would just leave it there, you know, to, to just encapsulate that, that perfect, um, you know, storyline for, for me, because that's all that matters. Um, but. You know that's that's the way it is for all of them, you know, when when we talk about the end of the era for, you know, say a Buck Showalter, um, you know, part of the reason that I really want the Orioles to win the World Series is that it would be great for us to look back at Buck Showalter, noted Orioles manager who also spent some time elsewhere, you know what I mean? Um, right. when I think about JJ no, Hardy no that's and exactly I
0: think, it. I think if you ask Showalter or Hardy uh, about their standing and their career. I think they would both look at themselves as Orioles first um, because of the significance of the last half a decade or so of what the Orioles have been able to do and making the playoffs a couple times and making some runs and, and being competitive. And, and all of this, granted, is probably in the context of, you know, this competitive stretch versus what they had before that in, in the dark ages. Um, but even so, those guys have been contributors to, to something special in Baltimore. And I think they would both, you know, look at themselves as Orioles first. And I, and I agree with you. I think that's something that's very important just um, to, to fans. And 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 truthfully, I think when all is said and done, guys like Nick Marcakis and Brian Roberts even uh, and, and Matt Weiders, you know, he, he, there's probably still a little bit more to be said on his career. But um, I think all those guys, at least right now, would probably look at themselves as Orioles. Uh, first
1: and foremost. Sure. So, uh, earlier, speaking of former Orioles, Scotty and I were talking about Sam Horn and the as-of-yet-unreleased Sam Horn podcast. Uh, Very excited to see what that will entail. But let me ask you this. What player or former player would you like to see start a podcast? Oh,
0: that's a really good question. We're talking just Orioles here?
1: no. No, any,
2: oh, I was. But no, we're not doing just Orioles here. Right. Any, any player. Give us both. Give us both.
0: I mean, honestly, the, the, the first thought that came to mind when, when I thought about an Oriole that I would like to hear a podcast from would be Brady Anderson, simply because I think he's got a lot of interesting thoughts on the game and because of his current role with the Orioles. Um, I, I think his, his current role, as profiled beautifully by Ken Rosenthal at the beginning of the season, way back in March, is so incredibly unique to any other baseball team. He's kind of serves in that hybrid front office slash coaching role slash strength and conditioning, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that that would be super, super interesting and unique uh, to, to hear about and, you know, to hear him bounce ideas off other people if he had guests. To, so that would that was that was All immediately right. the first one Listen, that if, came to mind. If me. Brady
2: is going to do a podcast, I, you know, it's fine. He's definitely got baseball knowledge. But I want to hear a Brady Anderson podcast. I know your wife does, too, Andrew. That would be about Brady. It would
0: have to be on video. Yeah.
2: It would be a Brady Anderson tell-all for his podcast from his 1990s escapades, basically dating on the Baltimore scene. And the titles of the podcast would be called Hit and Run, basically, uh, (laughs) going through any (laughs) single escapade that he could be.
0: Well, and by the way, uh, the video. The video, if, if you did a podcast, I not only would my wife want it on video, I would want it on video. I just want to put that on the record. I just want to make that very clear. No, no judgment I would, from the I would side. want that to be a video podcast as well. <laughs>
2: um, let's see. How do we go away from that? Um, all right, let's let's talk briefly about off season, even though it's not even at the off season yet. Uh, what are you? Yeah, it, is. it definitely is. <laughs> what are you kind of looking for uh this offseason to kind of look like for the Baltimore Orioles? I mean, I think we all kind of know what it's probably gonna turn out to be, but um if you had a chance to get together with Brady Anderson on that on that video podcast, what would you tell him to potentially do for the Baltimore Orioles during the offseason?
1: A- after counting his abs one by one with your index finger. Yeah, that's the his way. wife. Yeah, so first not I the would case. tell him to
0: stare into my eyes uh, aimlessly <laughs> and, and, and just let me let me get lost in them. Uh, then I would, uh, basically say, you know, the thing I'm looking forward to, which this may be, uh, this may reveal a lot about me, but I'm looking forward to all of the complaints that we hear when the Orioles go out and sign one or two starting pitchers, because they're not going to be good starting pitchers. They're not going to be guys that you you really, uh, want them to sign, but, Th- that's kind of the underlying biggest issue for this team right now. Going into if I'm setting a roster for 2018, uh, is who the heck is taking the ball every fifth day? We know Kevin Gosman. We know Dylan Bundy. Um, knock on wood that they those guys stay healthy over the winter. There's three more spots in this rotation that are up for grabs. So whether they are bringing back back Chris Tillman on a make good deal, whether they are bringing back Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, you know, on some kind of contract, um, or whether or not, you know, uh, Donald Trump's presidency has just turned things all on its head and we're bringing back Ubaldo Jimenez into the fold somehow, which I don't think is happening, but, you know, never say never, I guess. Uh, never. No matter what happens, they need to find guys to pitch in this rotation. Um, I have a feeling that they'll try to fill one, maybe two of those spots internally with guys like Richard Blyer or Miguel Castro. Um, but to me, the underlying kind of theme of this offseason is not going to be about, um, long-term contracts for guys like scope and Machado or can these young guys that we mentioned earlier, like Hayes and Cisco really step up and take spots on the, on the big league roster. It's going to be who the heck pitches for this team. Because frankly, the biggest issue over the past half decade that this team has been very competitive has still been the starting pitching. And that's the biggest issue going forward as well.
1: So you're telling me that the Orioles are not going to get good pitchers? Can I can I ask you something? Why are you crapping on my heart right now? Why? Why? Truth hurts, straight?
0: I mean, who do you who do you expect them to go out and get and pay for this offseason? Awesome. That's that's the biggest mystery to me.
1: Look, I don't want to have to have facts. I don't want to have to have reality. I just I just want to feel good. Tell me that 2018 is going to be better than this.
0: 2018 is going to be better
1: than this. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I ask. It's a very simple thing.
0: But I, but I only said it. I didn't mean it.
2: Gotcha. Well, with that, I think that sums up pretty much all we can say about the 2017 season in terms of, yeah, we were here, but we really didn't mean it, basically. So, Andrew, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Again, folks, um, Andrew posts uh, weekly at and sports. You can go back and take a look at all the articles he posted for the season. Uh, if you've got nothing better to do with your time. Otherwise you should j- definitely check his work out at Utah street report and also follow him at a Stetka um, and Andrew um, anything else that you want to add?
0: No, I think you guys covered it. Um, I'm not writing anymore for Madison The season is, is over as is my, my time there for, for 2017. Um, and most Thursdays is when I've got something up new at utahstreetreport.com. I, I'm going to probably be back in in October with some of that stuff, um, but you guys covered it, and uh, I appreciate it.
2: All right. Well, Andrew, we look forward to watching your video podcast with Brady Anderson in the days to come. Um, it should be a very uh, titillating experience. First special guest star, David Lowe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed.
2: All right. Thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on the show.
0: Anytime,
2: guys. Jake, with a week to go in the Orioles season, uh, we came to an end for home games at the yard. And uh, I went on Saturday evening, you went on Sunday evening, uh, and they were definitely unique experiences of course i went for the hooded sweatshirt giveaway game um not so much for the giveaway itself but because it was an opportunity for me to get out of the house and um why not take it and kind of enjoy a nice crisp autumn air in september Fortune ended up being a very muggy 80 degrees and uh but
1: felt great in your hooded sweatshirt yeah um but
2: overall you know it's one of those situations where you watch like you watch the orioles and you know they're out of it um and you yourself sitting with what am I doing here and what are all these fans doing here and it did strike me a little bit about how many people were at the game even though there really was no purpose to being there um so as much as I give fans a hard time for the giveaway games it was very easy for some of those fans just to go in get their sweatshirts shirts and then leave we've seen that happen in other giveaways. I am encouraged that there were fans that were willing to basically stick it out and say, hey, let's go see a baseball game this evening and just have a good time with the people that are around us. Uh, That being said, we were treated to a uh, Jeremy Hellickson pitching performance, which wasn't terrible. Um, But then we were true with Mike Wright coming into the game in the ninth inning and basically um, blowing it up in the process. So, Jake, I asked you this question. Uh, Mike Wright can't make it through um, this winter, correct? There's there's no chance the Orioles bring
1: him back and keep him on the 40 man roster, right? Mike Wright. Mike Wright. Yeah, absolutely they do. Why? Because there is every hope that he will have a late career renaissance. If they ah. have if they have control over him, I absolutely think the Orioles keep him. In the hopes that he will be, as we uh, had all hoped at one point, that he'll become Tommy Hunter 2.0. Oh, that's very disappointing, but... I think we've seen that he's not going to turn into Tommy Hunter 2.0.
2: We saw Tommy Hunter 2.0 come on for the Rays, and um, it was much better than what Mike Wright had put up.
1: The fact that they shouldn't has no bearing over
2: whether or not they will. I think you're failing to realize how valuable Dan Duquette sees the 40-man roster.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they'll get rid of him. That's That's just me. You don't even think they'll say,
2: "Let's try to pass them through waivers and see if we can get back to Norfolk."
1: I suppose it's possible, but no, I don't see it happening. Okay.
2: Um, overall, though, you know, Saturday's game was fun. You know, I got to just spend some time, just kind of watching the game by myself, and just not having to worry about children getting all over me.
1: Oh, you were by yourself. Well, I was with a friend. Okay, okay. not that's, you. That's a that's
2: a vacation. Yeah, it was really nice just to not have to be like, oh. You need uh, goldfish. Oh, you need apple juice. Oh, you need Gatorade. Oh, yes, let's go get ice cream. Let's go get ice cream. That's your fault for going and getting ice cream, by the way. But (laughs) anywho, um, it was just a nice experience. And again, it was one of those situations where we talked a few weeks ago about saying, what's the point of going to the yard? The point of going to the yard is it's a special place no matter what the situation. Um, And and a part of me during that bottom of the ninth inning when they were down 9 to 1 and they started making that comeback, I thought to myself, what if they actually do it? What if they have that moment that they come back and get eight plus runs and get right back into this game? And that's a story to tell for the rest of my life, basically. Um, so, it, you guys were drinking hard, oh, ha- very heavily. <laughs> no, no question about it. So, um, Jake, tell me a little bit about your experience on Sunday um, going to the ballpark.
1: Sunday was a lot of fun. I took my daughter, uh, she and I went to the ball game. And, uh, you know, the thing was about Sunday is that it was all. It was all about J.J. Hardy. Um, and, you know, it was funny because we talked all the way down on the car ride about, you know, J.J. Hardy and, and, you know, who he was and why it was important that this was his last game at home, probably. And, and uh, you know, why things like this in baseball are special. And so, you know, it was nice that the Orioles won 9-4. to It was nice to score a bunch of runs. And that was great. Uh, it didn't matter, though you know, in a in a lost season. It was all about having the opportunity to recognize JJ Hardy and and also to participate in the last bit of Orioles baseball that I would get to participate in in all season. And and you know, it was really nice um well let's let's do the Hardy thing. I, I thought that it, it was really it was really cool that uh you know he was he was recognized by his his teammates and by the fans and that there were so many opportunities to do that you know he was recognized in his first at bat he was recognized after the home run where the the fans called him back out for a curtain call and his teammates you know shoved him out out of the dugout to accept it and then they also recognized him in his in his last at bat um it was just a really nice day uh for fans to to appreciate JJ Hardy no i completely agree i mean
2: the standing ovation and then uh, the home run, as we talked about a little bit earlier, was just a magical experience. And at the very end of the game, um, all the players kind of coming up and giving Hardy a hug. And then at the very end, Buck coming up and giving a hug to Hardy. Oof.
1: Onions. Yeah. Why, why were they cutting so many onions in the stadium? I'm, I'm confused. It
2: it's a really comes back to the whole point of, you know, J.J. Hardy is a really special member of this team. Sure, he may not be the best player in the team, But he's a linchpin for this team, and um, it'll be interesting to see how the Orioles do from a clubhouse standpoint without Hardy on there. He's a very calming presence, I'm sure, in that clubhouse, Um, and one of those veteran guys like a Darren O'Day who's there to basically say, here's how things are going to be done. So players like a Jones and even a Machado are going to have to basically step up into that ownership role and say – Here's what we expect the Baltimore Orioles to act like going forward, because um, that's certainly a message that Hardy has portrayed for a while now.
1: Watching the the fans react to Hardy, participating in that, it was really, you know, kind of one of those things where baseball was fun and and emotional and magic when you were a kid. And... And this kind of reminded me of that. You know what I mean? It was one of the things that that if they could just bottle that and and make one of those ain't baseball great commercials on Masson, that they would you know they would be highly effective. Uh, it it was it was really nice. Uh, although you know again, saying goodbye to the park in general uh, was interesting. We were on the concourse, uh, Maddie and I, and watching some of the vendors closed down for the season was kind of sad you know they they brought the gate down you know in the sixth seventh inning because because they were just ready to pack it in um it was funny though because uh, they had the kids run the bases thing because it was sunday oh yeah 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 uh so maddie ran the bases and while you know while we waited in line for that while she ran the bases you know i just kind of looked around um and just kind of soaked it all in uh, knowing that that was it before uh, you know March 29th rolls around.
2: Sure, I think that last walk out of the ballpark for your last game of the season is always a strange one because it's the aspect of it's a good time for you to you know recollect some of the memories you had from that previous season. Um, and then you walk away and say, "Well, I hope it's different next season." That that's what it has been every single season we've gone. Is I hope it's different next season, and. It feels like every single season you're close, but you're just not quite there. Um, even this season, I still say that like we were close, but we just weren't quite there. Um, I don't think I've said that during the Dark Ages, um, but it, it's it's one of those situations where eventually you want to have that moment like you did in 2014 during a clinch miss where you have to say goodbye to it, but you're saying goodbye to it because there is no more games to be played. But even past this point, you know, games are going to be played. Um, and. It's bittersweet is the best way to describe it.
1: You know, one more thing I want to acknowledge with this season. I want to take a moment. I tweeted this out on Sunday. I want to take a, a moment to recognize Ryan Wagner, who works so hard and does such a fantastic job in his role, really has cemented himself as part of the Camden Yards experience. And I want to make sure that we Orioles fans realize how good we have it. And here's, here's the moment that made me think about it. Um, a fan made a a heck of a play. A fan fan made a snag that was highlight worthy. And I was wondering if they were going to play the Rex Barney, give that fan a a contract soundbite because they do that occasionally. Um, But I I told, you know, my daughter's 10. So I was telling her all about Rex Barney and about how that was the case at, at Memorial Stadium and how it continued on the Camden Yards and how it's an expression in Baltimore, you know, give that fan a contract. Um, And then later on the game, you know, they did the uh, steal second base thing where the kid, you know, goes and grabs the second base and Wagner, you know, gave his, you know, down the stretch they come thing. And it just got to thinking, you know, much like, you know, Rex Barney was such an integral part of the Memorial Stadium and then the Camden Yards experience. I think Wagner's really cemented himself in, in that way. You know, we talk about the J.J. The J. Hardy thing. You know, we talk about just the fact that he brings passion and personality to a job that though it was admirably done by the last guy, it wasn't done so with, with yeah, personality in any it's way. It's the
2: personality that really makes it. And I think when we talked to Ryan about this before, we mentioned I was like, Well, why don't they do give that fan a contract? And Ryan's just like because that was Rex's gig. Yeah. You know, that was his MO, that was his call. Like you don't take the call or the gig of somebody else's. You come up and it's a new new aspect. And the new aspect as far as, you know, fans cheering J.J. Jay, Jay, Hardy and being part of that celebration um, and then just being part of down the stretch to come or just, again, the the noise and the white noise and the aspect of, all right, Ryan Wagner is talking now. That means we're three or four minutes away from game time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, we look back and J.J. Hardy leaving is probably as devastating to us, but more so even for Ryan Wagner But I'll be interested to see how Ryan cements his legacy and adds a little bit more personality to the games coming up um, with J.J. Hardy no longer being called um, at Camden Yards. Um, With that, uh, you want to do some fantasy boss and um, rub it in my face?
1: Hey, let's fantasize.
2: Gotta hate this segment.
1: just numbers and stats scott
2: it's like fantasy football it's all
1: luck sure i've been awfully lucky many years in a row my friend yeah well babbitt is like that i think that's f- babbitt <laughs> fantasy boss
2: and balls in play brighter, all right, so it was actually a pretty decent week for our fantasy boss picks. Uh we went with you went with Miguel Castro. I went with Richard Blyer. They ended up number two and number four. On this the is team. ground
1: ball percentage.
2: Yeah, ground ball percentage. That ever in uh, stat. But that brings the score to seven to five to two. So it looks like it's another win for Jake this season. I hope you're happy, Derek Arnold, you cursed, cursed man. So I ask you once again, Bev listeners, should Fantasy Boss come back next year, what would breathe new life? into this contest tweet us and let us know what your opinions on fantasy balls or contest text at email um, at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com to let us know what your thoughts are on fantasy balls for the 2018 season and with that let's get into the good the bad and the oh there's a lot of it ugly
1: That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get us started. I hate to go back to the well, but my good was the players' treatment of J.J. Hardy on Sunday. It was really something to see his teammates standing at the top step, applauding him. uh, The Rays players uh, applauding him in what was a very special moment for the rest of us. Um, The Orioles players enjoyed a very special moment with one of their own. Uh, one that they respect an awful lot. So my good for this week was that scene of the Orioles dugout paying tribute to a great Oriole in J.J. Hardy.
2: Honorable mention, too, I thought it was great that the Tampa Bay Rays players also came up to the top of the dugout and just gave a kind of quiet applause of like, hey, you know, we respect everything that you kind of did. And it's also, you know, let's not take away from the moment that is being experienced by the team right now. Let's go ahead and, and pay some proper respect. So tip the cap to the Rays as well in, in this regard. Good point. Uh, my good for the week is actually going to go to uh, Gabriel Enoa, who I thought actually pitched a really nice game going eight innings. Um, a dangerous situation has occurred here where Enoa has potentially done enough in terms of saying, all right, I could potentially be that fifth starter. I could be that Miguel Gonzalez-like pitcher. But I still come back to the point of if you look at Enoa's stats – it scares the heck out of me when you look at his K per nine and his walk for nine over the entire season. Right now, his Ks per nine is at 6.54. His walks per nine is at 1.99, and that's based on him being a, a, a bullpen arm as well. Uh, I just don't see it, um, him being a, an effective starter going forward. But you looked at his stuff that he was commanding that night, and he had some really filthy pitches out there. So is it possible? Sure, it's possible, but I, do I think it's likely? No, I don't think it's likely. I do think a Noah could be a really important part for this team and could be that sixth starter and that swing starter, but I don't think Gabriel Noah is
1: uh the defined fifth starter coming into next season. If the Orioles had four good starters, right? Yeah. If they had four sure things, then I would be a lot happier sure. to say, okay, let's give Castro and Enoa and all the rest of these cats a chance. But they don't. And the Orioles just don't have any more chances to waste. So I say uh, Gabriel, you know, is is, um, just like you said, a spot starter at best. Right. So you know what you're getting with him. (laughs) That was bad. (laughs) And my bad, Scott, is Mark Trumbo, who had a, wait for it, negative 45 weighted runs creative plus. Look, I don't want to pile on the guy. Yes, I do. I want to pile on Mark Trumbo. He's had a very disappointing season he needs to improve next year. Full stop. Yeah,
2: he was. Um, he, he was bad. Definitely. Um, I, I think my bad is going to have to go to. I'm going to have to go with Trey Mancini, who posted a uh, 69 weighted runs creative plus. Nice. Uh, we didn't really mention that Trey Mancini goes through these stretches, and they don't happen that often. But I'd say every 10 to 14 games, he's been going through these stretches in the second half of the season. I do think Trey Mancini is going to have value. I just don't think I agree completely um, with Andrew's hope that he expounded on during the interview. I think Trey Mancini is going to be an above average player next year, but probably no better than a one or two war player, um, which may be okay. Um, But I just don't think he's going to have the breakout season that everyone thinks he's going to take that next step next year. I think we've seen about as good as we can get from Trey Mancini going forward.
1: I doubted him so much that I'm not going to badmouth him just so I don't look bad. Yeah. All right. My ugly. Uh, Scott, you know, this is an emotional time for all of us. Sure. It's the end of the season. And for many players, it's time to say goodbye. So I'm going to take advantage of one, uh, of not one, of the last opportunity I will ever have, I hope, to say this. Scott, my ugly for this week is Baldo Jimenez. Nice. Three innings pitched and nothing else good. Uh, he led the team in FIP at 10.82 an 18 ERA. Think of something that a pitcher can do well. He didn't do it, and that is both a, a description of the game that he started this week as well as his entire Oriole career. Not a bad guy, but for the contract that he was given and for the time that he spent with us, a bad pitcher. Jake, my ugly for the week has got to
2: go to Wade Miley, who pitched an absolutely abysmal game. Um, 8.31K per nine, 8.3 walks per nine, 4.15 home runs. Um, there is nothing that Wade Miley did in this last start that made it effective. You know what? I- I'm with you, Jake. It's time to cleanse us of these demons and, and, and get rid of them uh, from the Baltimore Orioles. So th- There's only one thing we can do. Jake, trigger a launch sequence. Jake, that was me catapulting Wade Miley into the sun. It was a catapult? It was a catapult.
1: (laughs) You trigger the launch sequence of a catapult?
2: Jake, we don't have a lot of money here at Bird's Eye View, so we went with a catapult. I
1: I was expecting some sort of launch sequence. Jake, we
2: do not have that money. If you want to advertise with Bird's Eye View, though, please contact us. (laughs) But anyway, we don't have that kind of money. So Wade Miley is our ugly. Fitting that Wade Miley and Abolto Jimenez... And our ugly pretty much for the baltimore orioles 2017 season Oof. all right jake why don't we go ahead and uh blow the save all right so this whole segment and this whole episode really has been about jj hardy And I was really thinking about it recently in terms of um, Andrew's article that he wrote about J.J. Hardy and what important role he played for the Baltimore Orioles during these past few seasons. Uh, You look at J.J. Hardy, and he actually had the 13th and 14th best performance in terms of seasons since the 2012 um, season for the Baltimore Orioles. So that's right up there with players like a Davis, um, a Nelson Cruz, an Adam Jones. So as much as you know we put JJ Hardy into that category of uh you know he he never was the best player on this team he certainly was in that upper tier um going into the 2014 season and of course injuries have derailed that ever since he signed his contract but i also thought about the situation about how important JJ Hardy was uh to the given team in terms of how he solidified the defense around him and solidifying the defense in the infield has always been a big Oriole tradition. I think if you go back and you take a look at shortstops through Orioles history, you can always come back and say that was a really good shortstop. That was a really good shortstop. That was a really good shortstop. And I was thinking about this on Sunday watching JJ Hardy. I thought to myself, do the Orioles have the best franchise um, starters at shortstop out of any team? Because it's very tough for me to pick out a situation where there's really been a long period of time that um they've had bad shortstops on this team. So I decided to go up and pull up the information from Fangraphs and I pulled up an aspect of all the shortstops that I had played for every single major league baseball team from 1954 through 2017. And what it was interesting was If you look at the offensive averages for all the the teams, it basically comes out to be right around the same, where the average is right around 84, and the Orioles, as a shortstop team, has put together an 88-rated ones-created plus. What's really interesting to me is, if you look at the defensive metrics for the Orioles shortstops, the Orioles have saved 1,192 runs above their average, with the second-place team, the Boston Red Sox, posting a... 542.6 runs saved during that time. Orioles shortstops have nearly doubled the second-place team's performance in terms of shortstop performance on a defensive basis. And I think that's really what streams to me um, how important that is. You know, we always talk about the aspect of pitching defense in the Oriole way, but defense really for the Baltimore Orioles in the past has always been about solidifying the middle of the field. And I think that if the Orioles are going to be successful going forward, they're going to have to have that solidity in the middle of the field. And whether that's through Tim Beckham or whether that's through Jonathan Scope, solidifying the middle of the field has always been the Orioles' MO. And if they're going to succeed in years to come, solidifying that with J.J. Hardy now leaving is going to be a critical aspect for years to come.
1: So no Alex Cintron is what you're telling me? No Alex Cintron, no. Okay. Okay. That's really impressive that that you just pulled up. I mean, it's almost as if you prepare for the show. It's almost like I
2: prepare for the show. What's that like? and I do thinking for the show as opposed to saying, "Hey, I'm going to grab a stone beer because uh, we're at Stone's Bottom here for the show."
1: I'd be curious to see what um, what all those facts and figures that you provided look like from 2011 on. Sure. Uh, not not just, uh, you know, 1954, but I will say all the love to J.J. To Hardy. He's just been a joy to watch. I really appreciate it. And here's the thing about Hardy. I appreciated him when he was an offensive weapon. I loved it, you know, as he was hitting 25, 30 home runs a season. I also really appreciated the part of his career where he struggled offensively. Sure. You know, I, he was a guy that I continued to root for and hoped that he could, you know, push Father Time back into the corner. Um We got to root for kind of two different kinds of players, the dominant shortstop and the guy whose who's offensive skills were declining uh but was still a, a lovable player. So it was – uh You know, it was good on both ends. And since you
2: asked, from 2011, uh, the Orioles are fourth in F-War through 2011, and they are number one in defense in all Major League Baseball since 2011 for shortstop defensive rankings. I believe it. Yeah. So uh, you've got some other perennial people up there, too, but the Orioles, on a consistency basis, have been really good from a defensive standpoint. They just get knocked down a little bit because of J.J. Hardy's bat not living up to um what it was expected to be um over the past three seasons. So uh JJ Hardy um really made this team um a dynamite team in terms of um not just saying oh they're average uh, at the shortstop position the Orioles were literally you know uh, in the top quartile.
1: Scott, I have a complaint. Sure. I have a complaint about your upkeep of S D Studios. Yes. Is there, uh, is there a big freaking spider? Scott Magnus, it's dusty in here. It is all dusty. Right. It's dusty. It's in my eyes. And frankly, I don't approve. Well,
2: let's just keep Darren O'Day on the team. <laughs> and we can all be happy going forward, okay? <laughs> the only player now
1: <laughs> older than me. May he play forever. And that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com bird's eye view is a proud
2: member of the baltimore sports report network you can find this show on baltimore sports com slash network and also on
1: baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk bird's eye view is available on itunes stitcher and google play music we appreciate a rating and a review no really write and review this show it establishes what we call social proof and encourages new listeners check it out do it for jj hardy folks engage
2: with us on social media you can find us on instagram facebook and snapchat but the best way to get a hold
1: of us is on twitter where we tweet at birdseyeview bal if you responded about our survey thank you so much i promise i'm not ignoring you give me probably another week and i'll get back to you on the actual survey but just know it's as unimpressive as we're used to and with that baltimore and beyond i bid you all a fond A-do-a-do. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's
2: for at least another week. Mm -hmm. And then get to work in the front office.
1: Womp, womp.